the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Is my microphone on the whole time? Because I didn't turn it on, so that's the Lord working, or you guys have been listening to me sing, so either way is a miracle. So we got a couple things. We're finishing up uh, our series, Holy Week, A Walk with Jesus. We're actually going backwards. So we went through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and now we're going all the way back to Sunday because it is Palm Sunday. So we want to talk about that. There's a lot of history involved when it comes to Palm Sunday. There's a lot of history that you kind of have to need to know to know the circumstance of what happened and why it's such a big deal. And I'll give you an example of some history. If, did anyone follow golf this weekend? Does anyone follow golf? I normally do not follow golf at all, like, but then I saw the storyline starting to produce, so I don't think Tiger Woods has won a mass, or I mean a major since like 2011, do you know the date? I don't, it's been, how long? 2010, all right, so it's been t- since 2010 that he has won a major, this is a big deal, everyone loved him, and then uh, like he had trouble in his swing and his back and other issues, and now like it's this, this tour of redemption, and he is actually two strokes off the lead. I don't think he's actually going to win, but I'm still... How, one stroke, is this updated by the second? Is he playing right now? All right. Way to ruin it for everyone, Steve, who's going to watch the recorded version. So he's apparently one stroke off the lead. I do not think he's going to catch him, so you guys can come back and laugh at me because I didn't get it right. But there, you, if, unless you know all that history and someone says, yeah, you're going to watch the Masters, most of the time you're like, why would you ever watch golf? Have you ever watched golf? Golf is called naps with some TV in between. That's what golf watching is called. So unless you know that history, it's not a big deal. So we're going to get into some of that history. But I also have a question for you. What right now in your life could happen that would give you a little sense of peace? So I want you just to think practically what would give you some sense of peace. Peace usually is directly connected to some kind of victory. That's usually, so think what would have to kind of be defeated or taken out for you to get a sense of peace. Now I'm guessing, this is a guess, it could be a financial thing that's a struggle right now. It could be a boss. It could be just a relational thing. It could be a disease. It could be something going on in your life that you'd say, if I had this, then we'd have a sense of peace. We usually don't think of this on Palm Sunday. We usually think of Jesus' victory, and we should. But you're going to see the words that we're going to get into. The people are kind of looking for a sense of peace, and this is part of the history I need to tell you. So hold on. Uh, this is the account that we're going to get to, and then I'm going to talk a little bit through it. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, so he's coming down from the east. That's the east. So he'd be coming down from this side, literally from this way from us. He sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And you can imagine their pause right there, right? I mean, if someone just said, go steal a Daewoo in the city and then bring it here, you're like, okay, what? And he says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. And they're like, all right. So they go. Uh, those who were sent went ahead and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying it, as you would expect the colt, its owner asked them, why are you stealing my colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. So in, uh, why is this such a big deal? I got a map here. And we're going to talk a little bit of history. So the, the people of Israel, in our mind, it kind of depends on how you grew up and what kind of Bible history you have. But at the, this time, the people of Israel are not doing fantastic, the Jewish people. Um, so little, their, their glory years are literally like 900 to 1,000 years before this very time period. And so our nation as a whole is like 243-ish years old, something like that. So just multiply that times four, 
and then think that's how long ago it was. They're like the Cleveland Brown of nations. This is where they are. They are not good. Things are not going well. And so what I have found, just in general, when you are lacking something, you, you dream of kind of the other thing to fill it up. So let's just give an example. I'm not going to give example for kids here, um, but I would get, well, I'll give an example for kids. So some, of, some of you are in school or you should be in school if you're kids. And then you think about your teachers. If you have a teacher who is a hyper-disciplinarian, who everything has to be just right, and unless you put your name on it exactly right, you get points off, what do you dream of? A teacher not like that, right? The opposite, like, oh, I want one that, or if you're a teacher is, doesn't have any classroom management, and it's just kind of chaos, even as a kid, you would dream, just give me some order so I can get something done. I wish they would just yell at the kids who are, ma- you know, I wish they would c- control some things. Now you're like, okay, j- kids are just like that. What about as an adult? How many of you have a boss? All right, so make your self-assessment of your boss, and maybe you have the perfect boss. Micah. No, 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 maybe, but maybe you have the perfect boss, right? But, but most of us, we're struggling on some level, and you're thinking about the deficiencies of your boss, and if you, the boss said, okay, I'm retiring, you would dream of the new person, he or she would have attributes that the other person didn't have. So if your, your boss is not very caring, and when you say, hey, my kids are home, I got to leave, they go tough, you dream of someone who has some kind of empathy for you, right? And, and there's like this vacuum and you wish that somehow it would get filled up a little bit. So the reason I say that is because the Jewish people, things are not going well. And for the last 900 years, nations after nations have taken them over. So we're going to go all the way down from 700 and we got 500, the Babylonians are taking over. But right around 300, so Malachi finishes his prophecies about 400. And so about 100 years after that, Alexander the Great comes in. He's like less than 32 years old. And he conquers basically the known world. That's pretty, that's pretty solid resume. So he conquers the known world. He goes all the way. He conquers Persia. So he starts to take in some of their things. And you see on this map, that is his kingdom, like the part that looks green and fertile, not the dark, uh, the forest green part. Can you see Jerusalem on the map? Okay, you can. If you grew up and, and your pastor drew a bigger, you know, rather than just the Mediterranean Sea as like kind of this oval, it actually has a shape to it. It's way down there, kind of like uh, you can see the Red Sea coming up. It kind of points to there. This is what I'm getting at. Jerusalem is not a big deal. Like to the Jewish people it is, but to Alexander and all the people ruling, Jerusalem is not a big deal. So Alexander dies and the Romans start to take over and the Jewish people are living under the oppression of the Roman government. What would you dream of if you were Jewish and you lived in Jerusalem and you haven't had glory for a thousand years, what would you dream of? And when the Bible starts to talk about a Messiah who's going to save you, what would you dream of? Now just think, now just go back in time. If you had a teacher that was going to come in and they said, you have a teacher that's going to make everything right, what do you dream of? If you're, I'll, I'll give you an example just in sports, and this will be my last sports illustration. Let me just make sure. Yeah, it's my last sports illustration. If you're a Denver Broncos fan and they said, we're going to send a player that's going to be the answer to your franchise, and what are you thinking right now, right? Joe Flacco. That's what we're all thinking. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> that's the, I think his middle name is Desperation right there. Elway's about to get canned. But uh, so, right, if you know sports, that is not the answer. We dream of actually having a decent draft pick so that we could get a decent quarterback and we can compete again. That's what we dream about. That's what we want. And so for the nation of Israel, just like you dream of a boss who actually cares about you, or you dream of a boss that takes care of things, or you dream of a boss who follows the rules, 
the Jewish people longed for someone to come and make things right and just defeat these Romans. And so this is the history that's going on. And while this is all rolling through their head, do you think this happened? So Jesus says, I'm going to go get this donkey and I'm going to ride on this donkey, the foal of a donkey, and I'm going to ride into town. Do you think they pictured this prophecy? This is from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How many people do you think in that audience just dreamed like they see this guy who could perform miracles. They see this guy who has fed thousands of people. They see this man who has healed people. They see this one where crowds follow after him and they think maybe this is the guy. And so here comes this guy, like down, down the, uh, actually I should point this direction, coming down from the east, the people start to run out after him and they start to wonder maybe this is the guy, but what guy are they looking for? They're looking for someone to fill the vacuum of their desire and their desire really at that moment was we want someone to defeat the Romans. Can you blame them on any level? No, and, and I don't want to make this hyper-political, but I'll make one point. Um, Ten years ago, if someone said Donald Trump was going to be elected president, would you ever dream of that being possible? But the political landscape, this is history now, we're not going to talk about it all the way through, but the political landscape was such that there was something happening that people felt this void or this vacuum that they said, here is the answer. Ten years ago, we would have never said that, but then suddenly it's becoming reality. And when you're watching the election, I bet how many of you were surprised when Donald Trump won? I would say a high, high percentage, even if you're here and you voted for him, you're like, he won? Right? This is what is going through your mind. Like, you can't believe it. So the same thing, right? We, we long, there's something that has to fill it up, and they long for the king to come. But this is what they read, right? So if I was reading this, I'm going to go back one. Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Okay, we get to celebrate. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. I get to do that. Your king is coming to you, righteous and victorious, and you're seeing this as you're oppressed and you have no say. Lowly riding on a donkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim, that's Egypt, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're picturing your nation has been under oppression for centuries. This sounds pretty good, I think. Right? I think it sounds pretty good. And so you can imagine the people swelling and, and welling up with joy as he comes in and they start to praise him. And this is what it says. They brought it to Jesus. This is the foal, the donkey. And they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he went along and people spread their cloaks, cloaks <laughs> their garments on the road. Uh, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, right? So what are they picturing? They're like, okay, here comes a guy on a donkey. God, is this the guy? Is this the one? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they say, uh, son of David and other versions, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We're going to touch that in a second. Imagine this day, and we don't know for sure what day, but the 10th of Nisan is the day if you follow the Passover, there's a couple major dates that happen to it. So the first one is the 10th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan is the day that God required all Jewish people to collect their lambs. We talked about that. So it either happens on Sunday or Monday. We don't know this for sure. 
And so when we preached on Monday, we said this is the possible day that this happened, when the money changing and everything happens, and Jesus uh, overtones the tables. But either way, their job was, if you're a Jewish person, imagine your family right now, and it's uh, this Sunday, Passover, I mean, is about to start, and the Sabbath was yesterday. Your job is to do what? You have one thing to get. Well, two things. You need unleavened bread. But you need one thing. You have to go get a lamb, unless you brought your own. You have to go get a lamb, and it's supposed to be what? Perfect. A male without defect. And so they choose the lamb, and then you'd have to take that lamb, and you would have to take it to the priest, and the priest would inspect it, and the priest would say, yay or nay. Now, if they're really crooked, I think they would say, your lamb is not good enough, the one you bought, you have to buy my lamb, right? And we talked about that happening on Monday, but right now we're just saying that was the day they chose their lamb, and isn't it fascinating if this all lined up that God chose his lamb to enter Jerusalem on that day? That God said, my son is going to come perfect and without defect. And my son, you can examine him, and there is nothing in him found wanting. But when the, when the Pharisees take a look at him, and people are saying their praise that said, we, this is the one, God, we see what you see. God, you see this is your lamb. And they see that. What do the Pharisees say? They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples, because when they measure up Jesus, they found him wanting. They said, this guy is not good enough. The reason we have Lent, we just went through a series, and this series is not hyper-practical. I don't think most of you are leaving today and saying, like, okay, I now know how to interact with my boss, right? That's not hyper-practical, but I think it is practical when we're talking about where Lent lands, that we get to weigh through these days to see what kind of Savior we have. And what kind of Savior do we have? We have a perfect lamb who comes in our place. We have a perfect lamb that when we want miracles, he does something else. We have a perfect lamb that when we make mistakes, we have a perfect lamb that when you lie and you cheat and you steal and maybe you're the boss that everyone wants replaced, God says, I have come down this road to bring forgiveness and because he is perfect and we are not, he's going to do something amazing. So why does Jesus die? been playing some games uh, with kind of with my kids the kids don't know this they mentioned that they play risk so they started playing we went to uh, on spring break and they started playing with their friends risk not the real risk where it takes like eight hours to do and I've never actually played that I can't imagine I, this is on the game so it just goes around and they automatically move the parts and keep scores so no one can cheat and things like that so they've been playing this and the kids mentioned hey dad have you ever played risk and I said no I haven't played risk so what does a normal dad do a normal dad gets risks online and learns how to play so he can beat his kids. That's what a normal dad does. So that's exactly what I did. I mean, just for the sake. I haven't played them yet. I have to practice a little bit more. So you start playing the computer. If you ever play the AI of any of these kind of things, they're not very difficult, right? They're, they're predictable, and you're like, oh, they're doing the smart move, which means I can, I can defeat them, right? So then you start playing online with people. Have you ever done this? It's, it's brutal in the sense that the games take like six times as long because against the computer, you can play a game in like two minutes. But against real people, they're unpredictable and frustrating. So I'm not going to go into the whole thing of risk, but essentially you're trying to take over countries and you get more troops if you, you own a country kind of and you, the borders. So then you start to see while you're playing this, you're like, uh-oh, this person's about to take over not only Australia, but they're going to move into South America. We have to do something about this. And you're collectively thinking everyone's going to pitch in and help, right? Well, they don't do that. They just let the other person get stronger and stronger. And I try and, you know, try and defeat the person a little bit just to like, hey, hey let's, let's work together in an alliance. They break their alliances online. Did you know that? <laughs> People are liars. 
And on top of that, someone will start attacking me, even though this person is inevitably going to win the game because they're just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So this is just mind-blowing to me. Like, why don't we work together so at least this person doesn't win? So what do I naturally do? If they're going to attack me out of spite, I will defeat you. I don't care if I can't win the game. It doesn't matter to me, right? It's like a Saturday afternoon. So I go, I send all my armies, and I obliterate, and I leave like two people left for them, and then I know I'm going to die, but I shut the game off. I just exit, and I go home, and I just feel like, why is there sense of joy? I died for what purpose? My own self-satisfaction. That they're at home telling their kids how to play, and they're like, what is just happening? Why is this guy doing this? This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen, right? So why do I do that? Why did Jesus die? Was it for his own self-satisfaction? Not at all. Not at all. The reason why Jesus died was not for his own self-satisfaction is because he saw you needed help. He saw I needed help. He saw sin. He saw this barrier between us and God could not be taken care of by us. So God said, I need you to step up. And people are unpredictable. Why do you think people love their dog more than people? Do you know that? There's stats that say that. In fact, there's stats that say people love their dog. They take care, better care of their dog than they would for themselves. When they're talking about medicine, not to get into all this, but if you had medicine and the doctor said, you need to take this medicine for you to live and live a healthy life, people are really terrible at it. Did you know that? Anyone who's a doctor here knows this. When you give a prescription, you're just like, good luck. And then you leave it and let it go because you know in reality this is not going to happen. But if it's for their dog, do you know that they do it completely? Like 80 plus percent of the time, they totally do everything for their dog's ear infection, but they won't do something for their own chemo treatments. Does this seem crazy? But what does this tell us? Dogs are predictable. So they're easy to love. People are not. Not only is it hard to love people, it's hard to love ourselves. And I think this is the true beauty when you talk about Lent. In my unpredictability, I'm not that great. Yet God still comes. In your sin, the things that you would never expect, God still comes. In all your mistakes, God still comes. Why? So that he can take and have you with him. He loves you, in fact, in a sense, more than himself because he's willing to give himself up. One last thing. Here's our wrist board just to get you distracted. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teach you, rebuke your disciples. And he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out that the world is going to recognize that I'm the Savior. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is now hidden from your eyes. And this is coming full circle. Remember, we asked what would give you peace? My guess is that coming in today, if someone said, what would make you happy today? You might say, I wish I had a new boss. I wish I had a little bit more money. You know, I wish I had a better position. I wish I would have done better on that test. I wish I, you know, our relationship is better. I wish my car was working. I wish, you know, I didn't have to do repairs on my house. You know, I have all these reasons. I wish this relationship would have worked out. I wish, you know, whatever reason it is, I wish I was healthy. I don't want to say it this way, but really, the devil is covering your eyes to tell you and convince you that this is what's going to make you happy, just as he did to the Jewish people. He said, if even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, what is really going to bring you peace? Only Christ, only forgiveness, only a Savior who comes in spite of who we are to love us and bring forgiveness. That is the only thing that's going to bring you peace. And so today we celebrate. 
And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate and we say, Hosanna to the King of David. Blessed is he who brings peace to this earth. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for a Savior who comes in spite of us. Um, we barely love ourselves at times. Sometimes we overlove ourselves. We barely love people. Uh, there's so many things that are unpredictable and unpredictable. They're so frustrating. We are that. We are sinful human beings that no one could predict the rebellion and the ways that we come up to sin and, and fight against you. In spite of all that, you come to this earth, you bring us forgiveness, and you show us very clearly what we need to bring peace. You bring us victory on Palm Sunday. You defeat Satan. You defeat his powers. You defeat the devil. And, and, and sin that has so overcome us that we get to live in a sense of peace. And what is that peace for? Not a peace that comes from having these worldly things, but a peace that comes with knowing that we're truly forgiven. Just as the stones would shout out to point out that Messiah, just as the people shouted out, we pray that our hearts shout with that message that you are the one and we let this world know. We ask this in your name. Amen.